If you would please open to Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 25 through 30 this morning uh, with a particular emphasis on the moms in our midst. We hope that you would be edified and uh, encouraged by the Lord's word today. Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise, from the wise and understanding, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, Lord, help us. Help us see you, Jesus. Help us come to you in obedience and in faith. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Moms, I titled this message, The Restful Soul of Motherhood, and I hope that's not a contradiction in terms. Because I have watched the mother in my house on a quest for rest. She's like, when will relief ever get there? A mother's work is never done. No matter how old your children are is what I found. There are so many tasks to be done physically, so many tasks to be done mentally and emotionally. I think these can actually be stages of uh, motherhood depending on the age of your children. When, when your kids are small and they're young, you're just looking for some physical rest. Can I just sleep for three hours straight? That would be a blessing. Can I just do that? And as they grow older into their tween and teen years, then it's mental rest. You're, you're driving me crazy. Because we're having the same conversation 18 times a minute. And then it's the emotional rest when they're adults because you see them making decisions and you're thinking, all right, I thought I taught you better. You are removing the guardrails from the road that you're on, and you're going off the cliff. <laughs> so you're just looking for some type of emotional rest. Can I just have some rest as a mom? <laughs> These are the labors that you're under as a mom. And they cause the, the heavy ladenness of motherhood. And I hope you hear Jesus coming to you, asking for you to come to him. Moms are on a quest for rest as they raise their children, uh, and oftentimes the location of that rest can be misplaced. See, rest is not located in what we can see, and that's what we usually go to. So we look for the performance of our children. If you just perform well, I'll have some rest, knowing that you're going to be a functional member of society and not be a drain and not go off the rails or, or, or over the cliff. 
So we, we look at what we see as a means of support to give us some rest. So we, we clamp down on performance or we, we, we try to position our children just right. I need to position you in the right way. And then usually that ends up being, let me position you. Here are the three options because I approve of these three options. So you get to choose three options. So we're looking to, we want to position things. But here's the reality, moms and dads. Your children are not perfect. We're not perfect. And this journey of parenting and motherhood is filled with hardships, and it's messy. That's why we gave as a little gift, a little towel, just to remind you not of the work that's left to be, to be done. No, it's a reminder that as you see that, it's that Jesus saying, hey, come to me. Come to me. There will always be messy situations, no matter the ages of your kids, that they call and they're asking for you to clean something. Not Maybe it's physically. How do I clean this? Maybe it's, how do I make this decision? Help me clarify and clean out my mind of all the stuff that's going on so I can make this decision. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> this passage is for those who labor and are heavy laden and in need of rest. That's all of us. But uniquely... I hope that the, the Lord will, will remind us that the location of our rest is not in something that we see. It's in the unseen. He's calling us to himself, just like you have called your children to your loving arms countless times. When they're hurting and they're distressed, come here. And you know, I was thinking how many times I had one of our kids that was hurt or crying and it's okay that dad is holding me right now, but as soon as I see mom, that's when everything's going to be better. And so, and there are other times, like, I have no idea what to do, and so I just would stand close to Kathy, like, getting the hint? You can take this baby yet? Because <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> but that's how Jesus is calling us to himself, that, that gentleness, that care. But there's a bigger, a bigger issue in the context of this passage that we need to, to think about because sometimes we just look at verse 28 on <clears throat> and we're just thinking, oh, just come to me. But the context, when, you, when we feel Jesus saying, come to me, there's a context that kind of feels strange because Jesus is talking about something bigger. Right up at verse 20, look at that. He's giving, he's giving uh, condemnation to cities that didn't repent. That's... Harsh, if I had done these, and woe to you, unrepentant cities, because had I done these things in Tyre and Sidon and even Sodom, they would have repented. But y'all's hearts are so hard, you're not even repenting. And then he says, at that time, he's, he's praying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you had hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The, the cultural battle with God that has existed as long as Adam and Eve have been on this earth, is we think we're smarter than God. And if God would just do things like we want, our lives would be better, everybody else's lives would be better because we know exactly what God should do in everybody else's life. So if God just listens to us, everything would be better. Atheism today, the new atheism, there's an arrogance about the new atheism that just says, you know, God's just not as good as me. I think I'm more moral than God, and I think better thoughts than God. But you know what? 
those have been around since Adam and Eve said, I'll give that a taste. I think God should kind of do my way. Frank Sinatra made it popular. We always want to do things our way. So look, here, I, he's saying, I've hidden these things. Jesus, the Lord has hidden the things from the wise and understanding. And this is not, he's not toying with people. He's proving his own glory when he does that. I'm not going to give this over to people who think they know better than me. God says, I'm going to give it to children. I'm going to give it to childlike faith. Just trust me. Just come into my arms and trust me. Before Jesus gives this amazing and majestic call to come to him, he reminds everybody the bigger issue at hand, and that is salvation. Specifically, repentance leading to the revelation that Jesus is the king of all glory and the king of our hearts. The context is salvation. Jesus is saying, come to me. Stop trying to make yourself right with God. It's not up to your effort. It's not up to your performance. It's about trusting that Jesus did it outside of us. We, we look inside to try to figure out what can be glorious, what can be good for God to approve of in me and give me a, a thumbs up or just accept me one day. But that's not how God operates. Every time we look deeper into ourselves, we just cave in and we give up because there's nothing good down there, Jesus said. But when we look outside of ourselves to all that he did for us, in being the, sacri- the perfect life that all of us are supposed to live, the, the brutal death that all of us deserve to die because of our sin, and the resurrection life that Jesus is now, that he now offers us as we just simply say, I trust you for my salvation. I don't trust in myself. This is the context that Jesus is saying, come to me, you're labored by your sin." But Jesus locates the gift of salvation, not in something that they should do. He locates it in himself. See, the gift is given. The Father doesn't, he's hidden it from the wise and the understanding. He's revealed it to little children. That that revelation is a gift. And look, yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. You feel the inclination of God's heart, the Father's heart, He wants to give salvation. So moms, if you have unsaved children, if you're confused by their profession of faith, you're not fighting against God. You're not trying to talk God into saving them. He's been working on it because it's his gracious will. And so rather than looking at what we see to try to get some type of affirmation, yeah, there's going to be fruitfulness. We want to see that, but we want to make sure that we're trusting God for our children, trusting God for their salvation. See, Jesus is this gift. The Father gives it to the Son, and the Son gives it to whom He wills, to whom He pleases. This language that Jesus used connected Him to the Father as the mediator. He is the only go-between. He's the one who connects us to the Father through His sacrificial work. On the cross. And then Jesus gives us now a direct connection to the Father because of his direct connection. We don't have to call collect. We get to go. We pick up the bat phone, and God is on the other side. Isn't that glorious? I just used some references that the younger ones are going, What are you talking about? Yeah, phones used to have a literal line coming off of them, plugged into the wall. We trust Jesus with our salvation by faith. Now, 
Moms, quick application point. We need to trust him with our children's salvation by faith as well. But we can slip into this. Uh, we, we sometimes slip into holding our children's righteousness before God and before them in a way that God doesn't do that. And so we need to make sure that the encouragement, no matter what the ages of our children. Now, look, we, we want little kids to be able to obey. So we, we give rules. And we, we make that, like, there's rules of the house, and we make sure that we're obeying daddy and mommy. This is why. Because when God calls your name, we want you to obey him. So you are, you are creating an atmosphere of obedience by your shepherding of your children's hearts for the day that God speaks to them. And they say, yeah, I'm used to this. I know how mom and dad are with me. Yeah, God, I love you. Sure. That's, that's why we're doing this. But we need to make sure as their children get older that, remember, we're not just looking at the, the sight of fruitfulness in their lives because that's a righteousness that we might be holding them to a righteousness. Well, you just don't perform for dad and mom enough. That God's not saying that. And we slip into this. Now, now you need to perform to prove that when you were six years old that you really prayed that prayer and it, made, and it, was, and it was true and God did something. So now prove it. Careful. God doesn't treat us that way. We don't see Jesus, this come to me, all who are who labor heavy laden. He's not calling us to do something before we get there or to prove that we deserve to be there. So all of us, we need to make sure that we are not holding uh, our children to a works righteousness. We want to point them to trusting Jesus' righteousness. Because if we keep on putting works righteousness before our kids, we will frustrate them. Uh, if I can say it this way as well. It's just popped into my head. Uh, every, every mom is afraid of turning off their, their son or daughter from the faith. And so that a lot of times is the seedbed of compromise. Well, I'm not going to do this right now because I don't want to turn them off to faith. You know what turns people off from the faith? Focusing too much on performance. Because that's how we raise Pharisees. Who don't know God. And don't have a heart connection with him whatsoever. Now it, Jesus says, well the scriptures inform us. That when God gives us commandments. That's guarding our heart to experience him. And so we, as, our, as we have, we had some, we had some un, um, I was going to say unhappy. Yeah, our kids thought our rules were unhappy. <laughs> it was robbed fun, couldn't do it, couldn't have freedom. Yes, that was part of it. We established rules in our home that were strict and never apologized for them. And they'd sometimes come, well, so-and-so and so-and-so. And then it's like, well, God's leading their parents to raise them the way they believe God needs to raise them. Mom and I are raising you the way that God believes we are to raise you. And as they've gotten older, so it's, you know, the big things for Christians now, and as my kids are in college, they get together with other Christian friends, and they try to, they, they correlate. Okay, you couldn't watch that either? Yeah, we couldn't watch that. Oh, you got to watch that? We never could watch that. And then sometimes they'd go watch the movie that we said no to, and like, what gives? Why, why couldn't we watch that? It's like, well, remember, you're watching that as a 20-year-old, and when you were eight, you were thinking very differently. You have matured. And the way that you're able to see it as maybe nonsensical, 
because SpongeBob is nonsensical. And we just said, you're not watching that. I don't know if my kids have watched it as they've gotten older. I think it drains brain cells. I've never watched a full episode. I've watched maybe 30 seconds and gone, this is nonsensical. I'm not going to watch a sponge. No matter how funny it is. I'm not going to do that. I digress. But look, I've told the kids, because now you think it's nonsensical and it doesn't, it's not a big deal, it's because mom and I did something right. We raised you to think properly godly thoughts. So... It worked. But there were times, 12, 13, 14 years old, when our kids were, were hard against, no, this is not right. Now trust. And we had, Kathy and I remember, just prayer after prayer, just saying, Lord, we trust you. We trust you. We're not going to change the rules. We're not going to change the rules. Now, what Kathy and I always sought to do was make sure that our kids knew we loved them. So our love for them was more important than the the rules or the performance. We wanted them to know really basically two things. We love them, God loves them more, and the Bible is true. That's what we wanted them to know. We still want them to know that. Even as sometimes emotionally we're going, why are you making that decision? (laughs) Guardrails. We need guardrails. Our children are blessings beyond anything we could have ever imagined. Jesus is in control of salvation. Jesus is in control of repentance that leads to revelation, and he is gracious with both. But then comes verse 28 with this gentle invitation. I love this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remember, Jesus doesn't say, hey, just go to God. Go to the Father. He doesn't say that. Come to me. Jesus invites us to himself. He invites us to a relationship with him. And he says this yoke thing. Take my yoke upon you. You know, we have oxen on the side of our building. Years ago, a local artist was commissioned uh, to do an oil painting of that, and uh, a, a gentleman who was in the community worked for 3M Corporation and made a huge sticker. He would go around, this guy, the, the 3M guy, um, back in the late 70s, early 80s, took post-it notes to businesses. He had the idea to do that. Covington guy. Now, every office has post-it notes, and they, the glue, 3M owns the trademark on the, the patent on the glue. That's, that's what's on the building. Now, why we have oxen on the side of the building? It's because we have ox lots all around. I don't know if you history buffs may know this, but within when the agrarian society that uh, North Shore was for so many years, uh, people at the farms would bring their produce to Columbia Street on ox carts. And the oxen would pull them, and they'd park them right over here. And they would park them over there. All, everywhere we have ox lots, that's where they would park the oxen. And so it's cool that we have this uh, picture on the side, because we can, we can see what that means. But the yoke, whenever you have a yoke for oxen, it was typically because one was training the other. 
So Jesus says, now the one who was doing the training is probably the stronger and the smarter, wiser. He says, come along with me, let's do this. So Jesus is saying, take my yoke upon you. He's already saying, I'm wiser, I'm stronger. Let, let me pull the load. You come along with me. Now, what also happened is that they would, as, they, as the oxen would use it, um, they would wear the, the wood. I mean, this had to be really painful for the ox, but uh, the wood would wear on their backs, on their necks, and it would be rubbed down until finally it was comfortable. So a long time, it was uncomfortable, and then it would reach a point of comfortability. They were like, okay, good, now I can do this without hurting. Jesus is saying this, I've already smoothed it out. It's not going to hurt. Come under me. Let's do this. Trust me. I'm stronger. I'm wiser. We can do this. He's stronger to pull for us. Then he says this. I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, in all of the, all the gospel accounts, we have 89 chapters in the gospels. This is the only place that Jesus tells us what he's like. In his heart. And he says, I'm gentle. And I'm lowly in heart. These really don't need much. His his gentleness isn't much explanation. I mean, he can't define. We know what gentle means. He's gentle. He's not not coming with a a finger pointed at us. As if we need to do something. He's got open arms. And the lowly that he refers to is he doesn't look down on others. Jesus is not high and mighty, but he's high and exalted, but he, his heart is that of lowliness. Typically, those who have power and wealth will oftentimes look down on others in particular ways. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that at all. Dane Ortland, who wrote a book called Gentle, <coughs> Gentle and Lowly, I highly recommend it as just a devotional reading. Uh, He said this, the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is that he is accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been able, uh, who has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. Think of that. When you see people who have power, people who have wealth, they're unapproachable. They have security teams around them. You can't just walk up to the president, pat him on the back. Can't do that. Jesus is saying, come. Remember, and he did it with kids. And they were like, no, 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 disciples. Hey, this is way too important for you little measly kids. Jesus said, no, 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 no. No, if you... You can see be worse on you if you prevent them from coming. No, come on. Bring the children. Bring them to me. And we come to him with childlike faith, and he's welcoming us the exact same way. And he says he's gentle and lowly in heart. The, uh, back, n- now we think more of heart as the pumping mechanism, but for thousands of years, the heart really was the, the center of motivation for your life. So Jesus is saying his, his central motivation for living, for getting out of bed in the morning, is gentle and lowly for people who come to him. What a tender, wonderful, mighty Savior.
This is the same one that has a sword coming out of his mouth and says things and everybody has to do it. This is that king. But he's saying, but come to me. And you will find rest for your souls. The only qualification to come to Jesus is if you have a burden. It's not make sure you're pretty enough, make sure you perform enough, make sure you're moral enough. It's not that. He's just saying, oh, you have a burden? You qualify. Come on. Come to me. We're reminded of Psalm 46.10, which is be still and know that I'm God. Again, let's look at the context. Verse 8 of Psalm 46. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He's in control. Nobody is smarter than him. Nobody's more powerful than he is. And that's when he says, be still, cease striving, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That means he will be exalted in the lives of your children. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Think about it for a long time. How glorious God is coming to us. I do it all. I am in control and I've got it under control. Trust me. Don't fight against me. That's what we do. That's what uh, Jesus came to Paul with in Acts 26 verse 14. And we, uh, when Apostle Paul says, and we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now the other piece of machinery that was attached to the carts that, and the plows that oxen pulled, one was the yoke, but the other were, were wooden spikes behind them that would prevent them from going backwards or doing things against what the owner and the guy in charge wanted to happen. Jesus, and sometimes the ox would kick it, just make their foot, their hoof bleed. And he's telling the Apostle Paul, stop making your feet bleed. You're kicking against something that's, you're not going to win. Surrender. Trust me. That's what Jesus came to the Apostle Paul with. And he, and what, we know the story. Saul, he gets saved and then begins this missionary uh, force, leads a missionary force that we today benefit from because he went out and preached the gospel. So let's make sure we are not kicking against the goads with God, but we are surrendered and we are trusting. Because rest is a gift. It's not a transaction. God's not looking for something and then giving us rest. He just gives himself. But there's a uniqueness in what Jesus says also in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me to find that rest. Learning from Jesus is is learning by the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit in us. Remember the story of Martha and Mary. Now as they went on their way, this is Luke 10. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, 
Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. All right, moms. Lord, do you not care that I'm overlooked in this house and feel like I'm doing everything alone with no appreciation? Lord, do you love me? Because right now I can't sense your presence. I don't think my prayers are being answered, God. I don't see the fruit of my prayers at all. God, do something. Martha says, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's another welcoming. Mary was welcome to sit at Jesus' feet and learn, and she just wanted to do that. And that's, that's hard. It's hard to discern when to be busy serving and when to sit at Jesus' feet. It is. And, and when you have little ones, it's far and few between, right? It feels like it's all serving. Do I have any time to sit with the Lord and just be there? But it's necessary. We need to figure out how to do that and, and strive for it, even fight for it if necessary. Husbands, fathers, serve your wife in helping her get time with God. And then here's the thing that gets me. Verse 30. For my yoke is easy. Easy? What is ever easy in life? Nothing. (laughs) And we know life is hard. Life will be hard. It will be filled with persecutions until Jesus returns or we are with him uh, in glory. Life is filled with hardship. So what is easy that he's talking about? He's saying his yoke fits so well that you don't even know it's there. Like helium to a balloon. It just... It lifts. So when we trust Jesus, we will feel a lifting. And we, we will feel a lightening. I, I think that's a, a spiritual... Um, um, we learn in enlightenment as well as lighting our way for discernment. I, I think we, we have a few different aspects of how that burden is light because he says, my, my commands are not burdensome when we obey and we trust him. So here's a concluding thought for us. We want to leave our children a trust fund, but not the money kind. The greatest thing you can leave your children is not a a stash of cash and finances that you hope will alleviate their worry in their lives. The trust fund you leave your children is one that is grounded on the rock solid foundation of Jesus. That's the trust fund. Leave in your wake an aroma of heaven as you live under the divine kindness of God and trust him. Trust him. And every day, trust him. And throughout the day, trust him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for our moms. 
I pray they would feel your love. They would feel in their hearts you calling to them saying, come to me, trust me. And you will find rest for your souls. God, we do ask for rest for the moms. We ask for a rest that, that is not in what is seen, but we ask for that rest in what is unseen. And God, we do pray that you would give the prayers, the answered prayers of what is seen, of the fruits of salvation, the fruits of, of loving you, the fruits of obeying your will, the fruits of experiencing your grace in powerful measure. God, we do ask for answered prayers, but may it start with a mom who just says, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. So Lord, bless them. I pray for your anointing to be upon them. I pray for your glory to be known in them. Be gracious, God. May your face shine upon them. May they be at peace in your love. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Moms, enjoy your day.